0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Where Work Meets Life on no ego for better work and lives with Cy Wakeman. In my 20 plus years in the field of organizational psychology, I've rarely come across a thought leader, influencer and author that I've admired more. Her work on ego and no drama in the workplace is more relevant than it's been ever before. And a dear friend and colleague of mine from Ottawa, Meredith Thatcher, a few years ago said, Laura, you should read this book because some of the organizations that we're collaborating with and working with senior leaders and, and such on culture and leadership, this No Ego is just brilliant. It just says uh, so many important points and I said okay and I read it and I loved it and I think with all the challenges we're facing as a world with the polarization around COVID and uh, vaccines etc ego is at play more than ever right now and there's so many toxic situations there's so many beautiful situations in our world and in our work but there's also so much drama politics toxicity that i think that this no ego concept is is beautiful and sai wakeman is a new york times best selling author and a global thought leader with clients that you might not have heard of facebook google nasa universal just little ones like that <laughs> she has uh, become one of the top 100 leadership experts to follow on twitter and number 1 on the global gurus 2021 list of the top 30 leadership professionals Her podcast has almost 40,000 downloads a month. So her no ego podcast in 50 different countries. So I encourage you to tune in to follow her on her various platforms. We'll share all of that in the show notes and her latest new book is coming out in spring, 2022 life's messy, live happy. What a great title Psy. And this is available for pre-order on Amazon. So, I am delighted to welcome you to the podcast, Sai.
1: Thank you, Dr. Laura. It's such a privilege to connect.
0: And you are in Mexico right I'm now. I'm in which... Mexico, my new home sweet home. So you fully relocated from fully New relocated. York. Um, I actually
1: know from Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. I was a Midwesterner and uh, have vacationed here for over 30 years, but just always felt called to the Baja. And I think with as with all of us, COVID helped us see possibilities um, where we we didn't see them before, so I took full advantage.
0: Lovely. So my first question for you, Sai, is what has been your biggest aha moment that led you to become a drama researcher?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting title. The first time I heard someone call me a drama researcher, I'm like, that's fascinating. You know, I started out life as a social worker, so I know that you've got org psych background. And I was doing direct client care. And most of the days, if you boil down what I did, I taught people how their mind works, so they quit getting played by their ego. And I taught people how the world works because most of us are in a huge argument with reality wishing reality were different. And this argument will lose like 100% of the time. And when I was asked to be a leader and I was also going through my master's program, I thought, good, I'm kind of tired of just teaching people how their mind works, and how the world works. Little did I know that as a leader, that's pretty much what I would be doing still. So I started to teach my teams those things, and our results exceeded other people's results. And when I was asked how I would do this, I said, it's all about education and training and experiential and helping people self-reflect. And I asked for money for that, to have these trainings. And the finance team came back and said, you, know, you have to show us the ROI. And I'm thinking, what's the ROI of your mother? Like who has to show ROI on something that is just asking people to live well and have better Mastery of their own mind, and so quite honestly, it just struck me that to get attention at the time to this important work, I would need to quantify it. And so I was in my masters program, and I thought, what if I could quantify the amount of time, which equals you know salaries and benefits and the amount of time in the workplace the average person, not drama kings and queens, spend in drama and show the waste? And then see if that speaks to others. So long story short, I would sit in meetings where people would bring a big opportunity to save maybe 10 minutes per person a day. And the finance team would be like, that sounds amazing. And I found that the average person spends two and a half hours a day in drama. And if we strengthen their ability to evolve and we strengthen and change leaders, ship philosophy to be more modern, that we actually could recapture 816 hours per year per headcount. And it seemed like an amazing opportunity to me, but I needed to put it in their language.
0: That, that's amazing. And it's what really uh, an aha moment to hear two and a half hours a day. Do you think the pandemic has altered that to be more or less in any way? You know, so it's interesting because
1: people tend to attribute their drama to external circumstances, and I know that it is not your reality. It's the story you create about your reality. And so, a lot of people expect if I didn't have to deal with colleagues, I didn't have to deal with you know other departments, and I you know was lucky enough to um, be able to work from from home, drama would decrease. And we just um, have finalized some work. And um, in, for a few people, a few groups of people, drama decreased. Um, we found um, that people of color have fewer microaggressions, that women enjoy not just, I don't want to stereotype, but but many women who are also um, resp- more responsible for caregiving in the home, um, like the flexibility and the convenience. So there's a bit of drama that just comes from overwhelm and trying to get everything done in an kind of external world where things don't fit, that bit of stress um, has decreased. But here's the thing about drama. Wherever you go, there you are. The main producer of drama is you. And so we took ourselves home. And so maybe my focus was on the IT organization, what idiots they are. Now it's just on someone in the government or maybe, It was about my colleague now it's my neighbor who will or won't wear a mask it's like we will find a way to project our um our world so that um that that we don't have to transcend the movie on and and we know this to be true i used to start a college class that i taught and i would put a little speck of paper on the lens of the projector And of course it would project like, it looked like something was on the screen. And while I was just talking casually, I would point to someone in class and say, can you jump up and figure out what's going on? Why there's that spot on the screen um, while I get things set up? And they always went to the screen as if that's where it was, but the spot was on the projector. We tend to always go to the screen, the external world, and to fix that, rather than looking at the the um, the mark in what's being projected, um, and I'm so grateful for that knowledge because most organizations fix want to fix all the external ways things fit together, and they're just fitting how um, egos should fit together differently. And here. Egos are meant to divide us. They don't fit together differently. So no matter what culture work you do, what work you do, if you haven't helped people evolve and you know transcend polarity and accept impermanence and just all those great practices that move us beyond ego, no matter what you do in that
0: cultural environment, it will only create a pseudo culture gotcha and that analogy is is a great one with the projector i'm going to remember that one uh so it, essentially a lot of this is about what we can do internally and all of us um have an ego right and it's a matter yep. of how and it's much- not a bad
1: thing we just need to know about it
0: yeah so i which brings me to the book no ego and the title no ego is it realistic to have no ego when we're all born with one? so that's my question so
1: i've been asked that before and and it's probably um you know not realistic that we're all going to turn into you know buddha or um you know become permanently enlightened there are 100 moments a day when we see a shift in our perspective where that actually is a moment of um being enlightened um but uh so i don't think it's no ego is probably the right goal Um, But I would tell you, I work in my own organization that's pretty close to, we have egos, so it's not ego free, but we are no ego in that we um, work diligently to notice and acknowledge and bypass our ego so that we can use all of our intelligence instead of the most primitive part of our brain as we walk through the day
0: that is wonderful and again back to that two and a half hours uh, that can be used for such important innovation and creativity and and what the world needs more of to navigate this complexity and so I think that no ego how to cut the cost of drama and entitlements and drive big results is a fantastic title I have it on my desk right there I love it not signed i'll have to come to mexico to get it signed i was gonna (laughs) say you're welcome here um but again I, i am delighted uh by this book now who do you think should read this book and who is your next book for so um this book i really meant for
1: leaders and emerging leaders and hr people that support um some traditional leadership philosophy, because what I really do is show not only just how much time and um, we spend in drama, which is emotional waste, is that the way we address waste in the workplace is through a better process. And the way we need to address emotional waste is through a better mental process. And here's the challenge. Once I identified the sources of ego, right? And there's five main sources of ego. I looked at traditional leadership programs and asked myself, do they fuel drama or do they diffuse drama? Like, do they even have a chance of working? And what I found in many cases is that our leadership practices that we're promoting fuel drama and we need to modernize those. We really need to um, update those. So I really challenge things like we've taught change management for years, like change is hard. What we found in our research is it's only hard for the unready. And our current approach ensures that more people will be unready more often. And so it's um, it just gives people great techniques, one, to think about these topics differently, and then tons of good processes, mental and organizational I don't just point out the problem, I say, and here it could be a different
0: way. Exactly. And full of stories, examples, um, cases. So a really great book. And your next book, uh, tell us who that oh, is meant for. Yeah. So over my whole career, I've been asked, like,
1: you know, Sai, you seem to not just teach this stuff, but in your own life, you, you live it. Like people who hear my stories know that um, my life's been messy and I'm able to live in a state of contentment or happiness. And so my book's called Life's Messy, Live Happy. It's not be happy, it's live happy because it's all about how we live that determines our level of um, contentment. And this has lots of personal stories. It's a very, um, it's a personal book, but it talks about our human condition. And as I've learned to, these very important illusions that I've been under, and how to move through those. And I really think people will relate um, at any level um, mm-hmm. as leaders or um, employees, but mostly just as humans. It's really a book to help humans understand everything from gratitude to how the need to be chosen gets us pursuing things that even we don't want because we never ask yeah. ourselves
0: yeah, we're jumping through other people's hoops or hurdles. So there's so many external pressures and uh, being a high achiever, which uh, you and I are right. And many people are in our networks. It's, it's all about the next success versus living in the, in the present. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that overfunction that I work with and
1: they're like, you know, I make things happen and I've accomplished all I've wanted. And I'm like, awesome. You got, half of life right, mastery. (laughs) Um, What you haven't spent enough time in perhaps is mystery and um, allowing yourself to be undone um, and allowing isn't passive, it's active. It's an active part of bless the falling um, apart. And so, so many people wanna have impact in the world and I help people understand that you have to be willing to be impacted by the world and evolved by the world as much as you have, um, um, as much as you desire impact. So in the book, I talk about overfunctioning, overgiving. You know, help that wasn't requested is not help. It's control. Um, there's just so many ways that we are rewarded in our world for very dysfunctional behavior, and then we wonder why our um, our lives aren't as satisfying as we
0: hoped. No kidding and well put. So what's one strategy? And I know you have many, 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 but one that you've used successfully in a workplace to combat ego in the leadership, okay? Either the executive leadership or senior leadership, for example, that made a real difference. So
1: first of all, even if someone is a leader, we really focus on them understanding their own mind and stop believing everything they think. So a lot of the techniques in the beginning are the same and one leadership practice we've really uh, it's, it's just a quick example is when i first became a leader people like keep an open door and let be totally approachable and to me that sounded boundaryless, coming from kind of a therapy background and i'm like what like that doesn't seem like the most efficient way to just let people in emotional states commission your time like when i had clients if i let them determined they needed an hour with me every time they felt emotionally distraught, like I would be working 24 seven, and they would determine my schedule. So I tried to keep an open door. And I found out my open door was a portal for drama. The average, hey, do you have a minute meeting less than 45 minutes in length, the typical conversation was venting, tattling, scorekeeping, hearsay, talking about things that never happened. Um, Being in the not now talking about the future that won't happen that way and a typical conclusion was please don't do anything i just wanted you to know so it was like they wanted me to keep their secrets take no action you know i'm thinking it just blew my mind and then i realized that what people were bringing in was unprocessed work and self-reflections the ultimate drama diffuser so i just modernized it i gave them a template called an s bar that led their self-reflection it's a tool Tools get us out beyond our ego. They get us conscious and intentional because we're working visually, and um, and I said, if you want forty, or if you want a minute, awesome. I will ask you, do you have an S bar? People have to think through: what is the situation? What is the relevant background? what What have I done for analysis and assessment? And then, how can I be mentally flexible? What are some um, different recommendations? Plural. And then when they brought it in, we've got something very concrete to coach on. But when it's just left in your head and you're trying to coach, people just skim through. They're like, well, what about this? Like, well, I got to take you back five years. It's like we're just skimming. Most of our leadership conversations are skimming because we haven't put anything on paper. Like Byron Katie says, put it on paper. All war, all conflict, all stress belongs on paper. And so that's my... Um, way of doing that in the workplace. And adding these tiny daily disciplines is so important because leaders tell me I'm exhausted from the conversations we're having. And when you're in an exhausting conversation, David White talks a lot about this, the poet, you need to end the conversation you're in, just end it and start a new one and that's what we're not doing enough right now in leadership is we are involved in conversations that have been happening for 30 years they're exhausting we're not making progress we need to stop and start a better conversation
0: wow we sure do and byron katie so the loving what is book i have that on my shelf really admire that and yeah i can see a lot of your ideas and strategies really resonating for All of us, not just leaders, not just formal leaders. And I really admire what you're doing to make it practical. And the paper idea, yes, write it down. Come with, you know, thought and solutions, not just emotion. There's so much that's emotionally driven, isn't there?
1: It it really is. And we believe that our emotions, well, first of all, our true emotions have profound, found wonderful, incredible information for us. Most of the emotions we're experiencing that we think are our true feelings are from our stories we create about our interactions with the external world when we're looking through the lens of ego and it's a very distorted view. What we need to do is disconnect from the external and use our breath to get internal and really get in touch with what we really are feeling and then sit with that feeling until it tells you its name. And so on the external, we name things too soon, instant judgment, I know what this is, but the internal, we don't often sit with things to give it the um, specific name it deserves.
0: Beautiful. And hopefully with this rise of the hybrid workplace, which is one of my specialty areas, I'm re- really hoping that having you know some of your days flex where you're working from home allows more cushions of time to, for reflection, for meditation, mm-hmm. for journaling, for going for a walk in the middle of the day. Through the pure remote context of the pandemic, we saw that people weren't doing that. They were at their computers on Zoom constantly. But Sai, do you think that people will start opening up a bit of time to practice uh, more of these wellness and reflection activities? Or do you fear that it's going to continue being go, 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 regardless of where you're working from?
1: Yeah. Um, I believe that the ego will fight um, self-reflection. So self-reflection, you're know, venting is the ego's way of avoiding self-reflection. And self-reflection really can be death of the ego. So here's what I saw like during the pandemic and now, is instead of looking at what has my busyness covered up for me, and now that I have open space, we recreated the busyness. And so I think that the best thing people can do is really look at how do I want to curate my life for the long term and what are the habits and dedications not just when I have time that I will commit to because we defer our happiness we're like well I'll be happy when work is done or I'll be you know I'm going to work really hard and then retire and that is the the ego's kind of um you know the ego's work is the fool's it's the fool's um journey right instead of really having habit I was so happy when I actually got stuck in Mexico for three months total solitude by myself um, and beginning no internet like no like off the grid and the airports weren't open and um I thought you know I can go through this as a prisoner or as a monk <laughs> Same three months. And I chose to go through it as a prisoner. And I said so often, I'm like, this is why I practice. This is why, because it revealed my relationship with solitude. And the pandemic revealed for me my relationship with uncertainty. And I'm glad to report it was pretty, it was a pretty good relationship because I've had some of these habits and dedications in place. I think the pandemic has revealed to many of us the actual state of our well-being mentally, our brain health. And my hope is is that with that revelation that people get very intentional about um, what they want to curate in their own lives, because it's not about
0: anything outside of you. It is about your habits and dedications. Absolutely. It's what you do on a daily and weekly basis, I always say. So when it comes to children is my next question, what do you wish children would be taught at an early age about ego and about this whole self-reflection piece you know it's so funny because our culture is all about like what do we need to teach
1: kids and i'm like their natural state is innovation and collaboration and play and that's what usually in adults it's like i'm having to undo more than do so, with kids, I think it's more about just not negating what they come with. It's about helping them just understand how their mind works and um, how the world works with some simple tools. Um, you know, even if we taught them one simple question, like, is that true? Can I possibly know that for sure? What do I know for sure? And in that way, let them understand that they are not the thinker. They're the ones being thought and that they're the observer of their thinking. And I think if whenever someone's stressed, if we could just ask them, like, is it true? Can you Mm -hmm. absolutely know it to be true? What do you know for sure? That loosens the ego's grip and it opens up so many more possibilities. And then they'll move through the world differently and get reinforcement that doesn't serve the ego, it serves um, curiosity and discovery and possibility. Beautiful,
0: well put. And your other question I like, I think it's how can this situation turn to great or how can it become great? If you were
1: great right now, what would great look like? Because a lot of us justify our toggling down in our human behavior because of what's happening externally. And so, Why do we outsource our emotional well being? Why do we outsource the um, possibilities in our own responses? Well, they did this, so I will, you know, I'm going to respond in kind. Um, And instead, ask myself, what would great look like if I were great right now? It's like, how can I bring the peace I want to the situation? How can I bring, you know, the love and care I want to the situation? regardless of what is happening around. And if you can do that consistently, you start to feel like an alchemist, you start to feel like you can take any situation and transmute it into something better. Because you got very skilled in bringing what's great for you to the table, bringing your rest to the table, independent of um, external circumstances.
0: Beautifully put. So my final question in part one of our interview is, what are you most proud of, Sai, about the impact you've had on workplaces and people? You know, I would
1: tell you, um, for me, the word proud implies that um, I, like, solely impacted, and I believe that when people are ready, the teacher appears. Um, So what I'm most um, satisfied or touched by is when people have the light bulb go off that suffering is completely optional, pain's inevitable, but the suffering part is optional and self-imposed and they realize what they're adding to their reality, which is really the source of their stress and the freedom. When I watch them like go, I could be free it's so joyful for me and i love that uh, my work and some of the other people's work is helping people do that at work at home and at home
0: wonderful so thank you so much Sai. this has been a great conversation uh i think you've shared so much that applies to organizations leadership and people's lives in general and i think you've got a lot of people excited about life's messy live happy coming out in spring 2022 as well as no ego which is still very very relevant even more than ever right now so thank you so much for your time and i look forward to our part two conversation uh Sai?
1: thank you it's been great
0: thank you so much for joining us today on where work meets life I'm passionate about sharing insights from experts around the world on topics at the intersection of where work meets life. If you found this podcast useful, please share with others who may benefit and engage with us on social media. For more articles, information, and tips, sign up for my monthly newsletter at my website, DrLaura.live. This podcast summary contains links to the psychology practice I founded. Work Evolution, Canada Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology, as well as my current employer, Humans, a nationwide organizational psychology firm focusing on culture and performance. Stay well.